What up, what up, beautiful family? How are we? Good, good, good. Last one with y'all for a couple of weeks. Man, I thought I'd get way more awes than that. Shoot. I ain't going to miss y'all either. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I am glad to be here, glad to be wrapping up our relationship series and, uh, yeah, just highlighting uh, the goodness of who our God is. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 today, and so we'll stand, spend most of the day there. We'll jump around a tiny bit, but most of the day camped out there. Uh, if you have your phones, you can actually pull those out and uh, find the Uversion app or take this link at the bottom of that page, type it into your browser, and you can follow all the notes. There's, uh, the scriptures will be in there. You can type notes on that. Even the announcements are in there. So if you like, want to sign up for something, you have that there. Or if you need a physical Bible, would like one, you can raise your hand and the ushers will come forward now and give you a Bible. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to raise your hand and take and keep that. That's our gift to you. I want you to have the word, be able to use the word, uh, to be able to read it during the week. And even today, we want your eyes on the word uh, because we really believe that God actually speaks to us and breathes life into us uh, in and through the scriptures. And so uh, feel free to, uh, yeah, just dive in with us, all right? So today in the last uh, idea of relationships, we're actually going to look at the relationship of parenting. Now some of y'all are immediately like, parenting? I'm trying to find me a husband, right? <laughs> I ain't thinking about parenting, or you just got married two months ago, and you're like, we better not be pregnant, all right? But here's the deal. Uh, I want to bless, bless them, bless them, <laughs> preach, <laughs> all right? Uh, I want to immediately uh, contend with you from the jump not to check out on this, okay? Because uh, if you're not a physical or a biological parent, that's okay. This sermon still applies to you. The reason is because if you are a Christian, then you are actually called to make disciples, and discipleship is in essence just spiritual parenting, and so all of us, if we are believers in Christ, we are called to reproduce ourselves to be spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers on behalf of others to pour into people who may not know God or may not be walking with God or may want to grow in God. All of us get that privilege and opportunity. And so whether we are growing up little disciples that are up, actually up under our roof and under our house or whether we are making disciples in our church, all of us get to participate in spiritual parenting. And so my encouragement to you to be to think about that. In fact, this is how the scriptures think about parenting. Paul, in the book of 1 Timothy, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen, but in the very opening uh, uh, section here, in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, so Paul loved Timothy desperately. He actually called him a son often, and he taught him like that. He spoke wisdom into him. He encouraged him. He challenged him. He really saw him as a true son because he actually was a true son because they were both believers in Christ. The blood of Jesus washed over both of them and united them together as family. And so he's not just using an idiom or like a, a phrase, a cute phrase to talk about his mentee. He genuinely sees him as a son. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, verse 4, he sees Titus as a son as well. Not only does he see individuals as sons, Paul actually sees collective churches even as sons and daughters. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verses 7 and 8, you see this idea of motherhood and fatherhood. In fact, if you throw that on the screen, right, Paul says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. And he sees how he is trying to care for the church as if he's the church's 
mother. Then in verse 11, he says, For you know how we, like a father with his children, we exhorted and encouraged and challenged. Paul literally saw the whole church as children in a way, he being the father and the mother type often. And Paul was a single man. He was not married. He had no kids. And yet he had this understanding of spiritual parenting. And so my encouragement is that all of us would actually reshift our mind that we're not just talking about biological children today, but we're actually talking about something far deeper. And in our parenting, what we are trying to do is we're not just trying to raise up moral advocates. We're not just trying to raise up people who know how to handle their money or who are hard work ethic or whatever it may be. We're not just trying to transform them even into our image as disciplers or as moms or dads. We're actually taking these little image bearers and trying to transform them into the image of Christ and to help them see and know and understand Christ more and to try to push them toward loving Jesus in this way. All of us have the privilege to be able to do that if you are a believer in Christ. And so parenting is, in essence, just long-term discipleship. Just like marriage is kind of joint discipleship, you two loving and pursuing and knowing Jesus and following him all the days of your life. So parenting is also discipleship because in reality, your children, your disciples, they're not yours. They're God's children on stewardship loan to you. And so as he has loaned them to you, he has given you responsibility to steward them in such a way where they actually begin to formulate this understanding of God that would draw their affections to him one day. And so all of us, we get that opportunity, which is why we encourage and press and challenge and love our kids toward this. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6 actually picks up this idea and picks up this theme at large. So Deuteronomy 6 is where we'll be starting today. And in this section, Moses has just kind of led them through the wilderness. They're about to enter into the promised land. Moses is about to die, actually. And so these are, in a lot of ways, Moses' kind of departing words to the nation of Israel at large in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And so the purpose of parenting is to make disciples. That's the purpose, the idea of parenting. Yes, there are other things than just discipleship, but the main purpose is to make disciples. And discipleship is, in a lot of ways, just spiritual parenting. This is what we see highlighted here. In fact, in this verse, you see Moses commanding Israel to believe the right things about God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. He's one God. And because you believe the right things about God, you understand who he is. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is what we would call the great commandment. Jesus repeats this as the most important thing for us to take away. And then immediately, the very next idea is he says, And then teach them to your children, to the ones that are coming after you. And so how do we make disciples? What does godly discipleship or godly parenting, what does that look like? Well, I would contend that one of the first things that we are called to do as disciple makers or parents is to frequently showcase the person and the character of God to your disciple, to your child. Which goes to say, you cannot showcase that which you don't know. 
This is why he starts with, Hear, O Israel, Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. You have to have this great intimacy with God before you're able to hopefully reproduce intimacy in somebody else. You tracking with me? Right? Hey, it's all right to talk. Come on, it's my last Sunday. Help me out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? All right? Right? Listen, we have to realize that our responsibility, this is actually the overarching principle in our parenting, is that we would frequently be showcasing who God is and what he is like, who his person is and what he does, his character and his actions. And so we should be continually thinking about that. And if you are not used to going to the wellspring of life, which is Jesus Christ, and drinking the living water, then as you try to pull your children to also receive from that living water, you're not going to be leading them to the wellsprings of life. You're going to be leading them to the same dry sand that's sucking the life out of your very soul. And so we have to have this intimacy with God, y'all. Like, I know that's weighty, but it's serious. This is a, a very important thing. We have to know God and love him deeply and chase after him and seek him and grow in him and learn to understand who he is and fall in love with the person and work of Jesus. We can't teach them what we do not know ourselves. And so we have to think about this. So part one of parenting isn't so much about how you go make disciples. It's actually about how you become a disciple yourself. And it's how you love God yourself, how you fall in love with this King Jesus, with Yahweh God, this intimacy with God. You love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is what he calls of us. And so if nothing else today, I genuinely hope to stir up your affections for God and to encourage you to love this man Jesus, y'all. Love this man Jesus. Love what he's done for you. Love who he is. Think about him often because there's nothing worse than trying to teach children to obey or to love the Lord or to follow God when you yourself are not following him. That's the heart of hypocrisy. And that's why a lot of us are hurt by the church because we've actually seen this in our parents. In fact, I grew up in a household a lot like that. My dad was actually a touring DJ for a really, really well-known Christian uh, uh, artist and, and group. And yet, he would come home and he was physically abusive to me, to my mom, to my brothers. He was verbally, emotionally abusive. He would come home high or drunk. And then sometimes we would pull out the Bible all of a sudden or we'd have to say these prayers. And so, no wonder why my view of God was so distorted that when my dad divorced my mom, walked out of my life, I no longer really had a care for God. In fact, I started to hate God and I hated the church because my picture of it was distorted because of how my dad was frequently showcasing what I thought to be was the character and person of God. And so how we act actually is deeply important. That's why we have to love God first. And see, when this happens, when you are not actually showcasing God correctly, you're still discipling your children or your disciples. You're just discipling them into the wrong thing. You're discipling them into the wrong view. And so no wonder why so many of us choose to walk away from God at that moment. Now, that's not to say that a faithful parent won't have wayward children. They may. They may have done everything they can and love Jesus, and the child may still walk away. We'll actually talk about that in a minute. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you want a surefire way to invite coldness into the doorstep of your child's faith, then be a hypocrite and don't actually love God. Talk about it. Don't be about it. Because if you do that, man, it's just not showcasing God and who he is. This is not what I want for any of our disciples or any of our children. And I don't want this for y'all. 
Like, I want you to know Jesus because he can be known by you, friends. You can know the God of the universe intimately in very real ways. And so this is what the, 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 the scriptures are calling us to here. Before we teach our children, we love the Lord our God first. And as that happens, that then propels and it catapults us to actually teach about God and to press in. Look, I know this is hard truth, right? I also know that the world will do everything it can to steal faith from you, which is why we need to be a community that continually pushes each other to know and love Jesus, because this is at the heart of all of it. Now, as you do know and love God, and as you are beginning to follow him, what is it that you're showcasing? What does this look like? How do you actually begin to make little mini disciples that end up hopefully growing up and loving Jesus? Well, Deuteronomy goes on, and it says this in verse 8. It says, you shall bind them, this is the law, the statutes, the love of God, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so what is uh, Moses telling the people here as you teach your children? Well, he's saying, hey, be purposeful and repetitive about the person and character of God. Don't just showcase God, but be purposeful about what you're showcasing and be repetitive about the way by which you do that. Help them have every opportunity to grow and know who God is. Here's why I say that. The uh, frontlets between your eyes, they would wear these little things called phylacrophies, and they would literally have scripture like written between their eyes so that it stayed on their mind is what they would say. And so their kids can see scripture on their mind and they would write it on their hand. They would put it over the doorpost of their house. And so if you have a little cheesy as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord doorpost. Man, power to you. You're following the scriptures, all right? Right? And they would try to have all these little monuments and all these little pointers and rocks set up outside their house and certain things so that at every opportunity somebody might go, hey, what is that? And you go, oh, let me tell you about God. There's a repetition, a desire to continually talk about him. And so it says in verse 7, when you sit down and when you stand up, when you lie down, when you go to bed, these were all tools by which to help them keep God on their mind because Moses knew, as we know, that God can often depart our mind and we forget about the goodness of who our God is. Shoot, we need these tools to remind each other of who God is. We need to keep these things that are continually before us. And so, parents, what's your bedtime routine? Did you try to hurry up and put them to bed so you can go watch Netflix? Right? Like, like what, is, what is the dinner conversation like around your table? Is it like, so how was your day? Good. Green bean. <laughs> Collard greens. I got you. <laughs> right? Or are there moments of, hey, here's what God showed me in the word right? Here's the way that God has been working in my life. I mean, here's what I felt convicted of. Here's how my church family blessed me today, child. I mean, I want you to find a church family like this. I mean, here's what God's doing in my life. When you're on your way to swim lessons, right, we might be driving as they were walking, but what are you talking about in the car? As you are hanging out on Friday night with your disciples, as you're sitting in the coffee shop, do you talk more about the Raptors and the Warriors or the God who saved your soul? What is it that's continually on your lips? Be repetitive is what this is trying to say. Continually remind yourself about the goodness of God so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then hopefully lead other people to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Talk about God all the time. That's what Moses is trying to highlight. And listen, as you showcase God, the behaviors by which you continually repeat, uh, that, that will actually be how your child or your disciple 
disciple most likely views God. The repetitive things that you do will be the ways by which they are shaped to think about God and who he is. I'll give you a really easy example. Just this Wednesday, we're sitting down at the dinner table, and uh, my middle daughter, Kyria, was uh, sitting in like a really awkward way in the seat, and I was kind of watching her, and I was like, homegirl probably about to fall, right? But, you know, I ain't say nothing. I was like, whatever. (laughs) So I'm eating corn on the cob, you know, all right? And I'm like sitting there, I'm kind of watching her, and sure enough, homegirl like tries to lean back, falls, hits her back on the like tile floor, y'all. And I was literally like, <laughs> right, no response, right? And so then my, Micaiah, my oldest daughter, she looked down at Kyria and looked at me and was like, see, that's why you should sit in your seat the right way. I was like, truth, homegirl speaks truth, all right, all right? But listen, real talk, right? Funny story, I know, but real talk. Like, is that the way that God treats us? Uh, Probably not, right? Like, when you kind of do something you probably shouldn't do, is he just up in heaven like, no, right? He's a comforter. He's a, so now, what am I discipling my daughter in? What am I repetitively practicing? It's kind of like, look, just don't be fooling around, right? Of course, Natalie was then the good parent. She came over and hugged Kyria, right? And I was like, she shouldn't have been sitting like that. Grace and truth, all right? No, I'm just kidding, right? But look, it's important, right, how you even behave, not just the things you say and do, but even the ways you behave will actually disciple your children or your disciples in their view of God. In fact, a really redemptive part of my story is that my dad actually ended up really, truly giving his life to the Lord, and he came back into my life after the divorce. And my dad was actually one of the main ones that uh, led me to faith in Christ, really, really redemptive. But even as he led me into faith in Christ, he still had a lot of this kind of disciplinarian, authoritarian type of uh, way about him. And he was also a wildly hard worker. My dad has sickle cell, and often he would be in the middle of a crisis which means your blood cells turn into what feels like uh, icicles almost, and it feels like a thousand uh, knives running through your veins. And he'd be in the middle of this, still trying to finish the task that he had at hand because we had to get the job done. And so no wonder why I can see God really easily as king, as master, as Lord, but I actually have a really hard time viewing God as father, as brother, as friend, because there wasn't a whole lot of intimacy in the male house household, right? I saw that my dad as a hard worker, as an authoritarian, and so now I begin to think about my God in that way. So not only, friends, what you practice will uh, kind of shape them in how they view God, but listen, it's going to literally shape their lives in general and their, their outlooks on what God is doing in their life. And so even for you, like I want you to think about it, I bet that a lot of your heavenly view of your heavenly father is actually drastically impacted by your earthly view of your earthly father. So like, like do you think that God is kind of cold and distant because maybe your dad was distant or not around at all? Like do you see him as an intimate being that longs to be next to you or close to you or you do, do you see him as some distant God in heaven? I bet, man, there's a lot of similarities between your father and that father. Right? Do you see him as kind of a cheap grace giver? Right? Do you see him as somebody that's really, really hard on you when you sin or when you mess up? Do you see him as whatever it may be? I bet it really impacts it. This is why the way that we showcase God and our repetitive actions are so important, y'all. They're going to really shape our children, our disciples' view of God. You have to showcase his person and showcase his works continually and frequently. And so the question is, do you know him well enough to actually display the right things about God?
You have to know this man, love the Lord your God with all of you, that you may then reproduce this man and the idea of this man to others. I love what Russell Moore said. He's a pastor and an author of a book called The Storm-Tossed Family. And I love his idea about how we showcase God to our children. He was uh, wrestling with his uh, oldest son because his oldest son wanted to get baptized. And they were super, super excited. And then like two days before his baptism, he ended up doing something really bad that would have uh, gotten him in great trouble. And so he's in the middle of this dilemma. Like the kid wants to get baptized, but he should be getting in trouble. And he says this. He says, I was torn. I knew he should get baptized. I knew he should be grounded. It just felt awkward and confusing to say, welcome to the kingdom of God, and by the way, you're grounded for the rest of the week. The reason this was hard for me is because I was having trouble in the moment seeing both the gospel and the discipline of children. If I had chosen one or the other of these options, I would have inadvertently taught heresy to my son. If I had ignored the misbehavior because it was baptism week, I probably would have taught a kind of cheap grace in which one can use the holy things of God to evade consequences for actions. On the other hand, if I had postponed the baptism, I would have been signaling something even worse, that baptized children don't sin, so we should wait a week when he wasn't a sinner in order to baptize him. I was, though, standing in two very different spheres of accountability. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I had one set of responsibilities. As a father of my child, I had others. The final decision was to say, as my brother in Christ, I baptize you into a newness of life. As your dad, I ground you for up to three days. I was trying to ensure that he was grounded in the faith. In this case, that seemed to me that he should be grounded in the faith. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> All right. And so what is he doing here? He's trying to showcase God purposefully. Like he's actively thinking about this decision that I make will make an impact in my child's life. And so what are the attributes that we are consistently displaying about our God? As we know him, what are we now trying to reproduce in our children or in our disciples? And I think Russ actually hits on the two main attributes that we should be showing. And so what are those? The first attribute I think we should display continually is God's glorious grace. Listen, and we should be consistent advocates of God's glorious grace. Display and show grace often. Here's why this is so important for children. Because God is a gracious God. And none of us believe that. It's so hard for us to accept that reality. And we are a people who are in desperate need of God's grace. And to not consistently display grace toward our many disciples is to say that we have reached some level of perfection that if they just work hard enough, their poor, weary souls can maybe reach our level as well. If we do not display the grace of God continually, we actually teach an anti-gospel. We teach them to work for their salvation. And this is not what God would have for us. Not showing them grace does not teach them the true gospel. Like, can I be real up in this joint? I'm probably a lot more like my children than unlike them. Like when my daughter is throwing a fit because she doesn't get what she wants and then I respond by wanting to be angry and throw her through a wall because I ain't getting what I want, I'm doing the exact same thing, just the adult version of it, right? Right? Okay? I've never done that, by the way. Don't be calling CPS in this joint. All right? I'm nice to my kids, all right? But listen, it's arrogance, genuinely. It's arrogance for me to think that I'm so much better than them, and therefore I can respond to them with a lack of grace. The only difference is that I've learned how to put makeup over my sin and cover it. 
Theirs is just more external, mine is more internal that still sometimes creeps out externally even with them. I need the grace of God deeply, therefore I need to show them the grace of God continually, keep pointing them to this grace. I do not need to continually teach them the law over and over and over again because I myself am starving for grace. Why would I then feed them the law? I need to feed them grace over and over. And even in this story here, we see God doing just that. See, they taught them the law after they were delivered from Egypt, not before. It was not because they were so obedient that God then delivered them. He delivered them and then because of that called for their obedience. It was grace and then the law. Are you tracking? So this is super important. In fact, he says that. Let's let's read uh, verse 20. In verse 20, he says, When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You're displaying the person of God here, right? And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. He's a faithful God. He will do what he has promised. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. This is grace. They were in bondage and God delivered them. And then out of that deliverance, now he's saying, now follow these things. And so we must extend grace to our children first as well, to our disciples as well. Like when your disciple continues in this perpetual sin that you've told them multiple times not to walk in, do you extend grace or the law toward them? Because when you continue in perpetual sin, God doesn't just cast you out, does he? No, he invites you in even closer. And so we have to do this as well. Listen, displaying grace like this also relieves the burden of us in our parenting. Because now we don't have to act like we're all perfect and got it all together. We need the grace of God and we just know where to find the perfect man who happens to help us, Jesus Christ. We no longer try to act like the perfect man. We just point to the perfect man and we can respond in grace. Grace doesn't just come in not giving consequences at certain times or extending these leniencies or the mercies of God. It even comes in you personally being a repentant person, casting yourself upon the grace of God. You tracking with that? Like, as you say, I am a sinner in need of grace, you're showing grace to your children. When you frequently kind of confess and repent, you're actually showing them the Christian life because the Christian life is a life marked with repentance. And so as you do that frequently, you're actually displaying what it means to love and to follow Jesus. You say, I don't have it all together, but I know the person that can, and I'm going to cast myself upon that person. Listen, do you know how many times, y'all, I have to get on my knees and sit and look at my daughters in the eyes and say, I'm, I'm really sorry, Micaiah. Hey, Kiria, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Man, daddy should not have yelled like that. That's not how God talks to you. That's not how we act in this family. That's not how I want to talk to you. Will you please forgive me? 
And she's usually like, can we go play Octonauts? Right? <laughs> right? Because she's three. Right? But what am I trying to do? I'm trying to show the grace of God in this way, the beauty of God and who he is. And so one of the main ways that we, showcase gra- or that we showcase God is to continually showcase God's grace to our children. But the other way that I think we, our parents, even of our disciples, our adult disciples, are that we actually, we exercise godly discipline and we showcase that well as well. And you say, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be a grace-filled people. We are. But back to Russell Moore's story, we're not cheap grace people, as if sin doesn't matter, as if there's no consequences for sin. We know that, man, we have to try to align our hearts with the person of God, and as we try to discipline them, we're trying to create these boundaries by which they can maintain the path in hopes that they would find God at the end of that path. And so we do need to be disciplined. In fact, I love what it says in verse 20 once again. It says, when your child asks, hey, what's the meaning of all these rules? What's the meaning of all these laws? What, what a really great question, y'all, that I think a lot of us actually don't know how to answer. Like when your kid goes, dad, wh- why can't I have sex before marriage? The answer isn't just because. What a terrible answer. <laughs> And you're not disciplining them in the ways of the Lord. You can say, hey, go listen to the sermon three weeks ago. I don't know, (laughs) right? But there's got to be a better way we're pointing to something greater. Mom, why do I have to give financially? Mom, why is it important for us to go to church every week? I don't really want to go. In this moment, you get the opportunity to discipline them toward the ways by which they can better find God and see him for who he is. So we don't just say, we just give because the basket passes us. Right? We say, man, we give because the richest man ever, Jesus Christ, gave up all his riches and became poor so that I who was poor may now be rich forever in him. And now out of my riches, I want to bless God in that way and help others receive that. Man, that's parenting through a gospel-centered lens. And this is what we should be doing. We're disciplining in a way. We're trying to shape their path by which they can view Christ in every single area so that in all the ways we walk and talk, when we lie down, all the the stones and the, the things written on our hand, as we point everything back to Jesus, we're teaching them, see everything through a gospel lens so that you might see Christ at any moment and fall in love with this man. This is what we're called to do. This is what God is challenging us in. And so discipline is not just uh, spanking your child, right, or putting them in time out if you're one of them parents. <laughs> just kidding, all right. I time out more than I spank, all right. You better believe I got that paddle ready, though, all right. This isn't the only way we discipline, though, right. Part of it is helping them to be disciplined and finding and seeking God. We discipline through a gospel lens. And so if we do these things, if we showcase God, we create frequent patterns by which they can see God, we extend God's grace, we extend God's discipline as best as we can, what is the outcome? What are we actually aiming towards? If we don't know the target we're trying to hit, we're often going to shoot off target. And so I think the scriptures are very, very clear that we should be preparing our children for the mission of God. This is the the goal of parenting, is not to just raise up moral advocates or people who don't misbehave in the classroom. This is not the goal of discipleship, is to make sure that they're dating a godly person or that they come to community group every week. No, no, we're trying to train people up for the mission of God. In fact, I love what it says in the book of Psalms. David is writing, and in Psalms uh, chapter 127, it'll be on the screen if you can't turn there, he says this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If you are not multiplying, then your family line will die, right? Well, if we are not spiritually multiplying, then our family line will die. And so the goal of parenting is actually to reproduce disciples. God has given us the gift of stewardship to make disciples. He's entrusted us. It's not just to make them good people, but it's to take those arrows that he's given us, put it in the bowstring, pull it back, and launch it directly into the heart of darkness. And as it pierces its heart and push back darkness, that child, that son, that daughter, that disciple, he begins to display the love of Christ to the world. That's what the mission of parenting is, according to the scriptures. It's not just for them to have grandkids so you can now feel like, oh man, I'm accomplishing something, right? It's so that they can do mission. In fact, in Psalm 145, a couple of chapters later, it says this, one generation shall command your works to another and shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They, these future generations, shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. One generation to another. Discipleship. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. This is what it looks like, right? One, Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. We exalt, disciple, and then send. Discipleship, the goal of it is reproduction, to go out into the world to make much of the name of Jesus. I mean, even God and his own son, he used his own son in this very way. You realize that God did not just have son Jesus Christ so that they may eternally uh, love each other and eternally be wrapped up in the father-son relationship. No, God literally sacrificed that son, put him in a bowstring, launched him directly into our world, directly to pierce the heart of darkness, of sin, of Satan, of death itself, so that you and I might be free. And now as we mimic God the Father, we actually do the same thing with our children and we shoot them back into the world that other people may taste the freedom that we have received in Jesus Christ. This is what God is calling us towards, his mission. Do you see your children, do you see your disciples like that? Because listen, y'all, if you do, it's going to totally transform your parenting. Because then when they be all rebellious and cussing you out, right, like then you're not tripping as much. Why? Because you literally realize even this opportunity is a moment for me to display the grace or the discipline or the glory of our God in hopes that they would come to know God and make much of him one day. You no longer see those as kind of blips in your radar or, or messing up your kingdom. You realize God may be graciously giving you that very moment to train them up to, to represent God well, to push back the kingdom or the kingdom of darkness well. In fact, I love what Paul Tripp says about this. He's the author of a book called Parenting. If you just want to get jacked up and wrecked, go read this book, all right? He says this, it's not our children's sin that is in the way of good parenting. It's our tendency to make parenting about our little kingdom of wants, needs, and desires, and our tendency to want our children to serve the purposes of our kingdom rather than submit to the purposes of God's kingdom. We're often mad at our children, not because they have broken God's law, but because they have gotten in the way of our laws, of our peace and comfort. Shoot, right? We forget about the greater picture 
the mission of God. We forget that hard moments are nothing more than opportunities to extend grace or discipline. This is also where then the whole community comes in. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you see all this we and this us language. Why? Because we're all in this together, y'all. Listen, it's not just me discipling my daughter, Micaiah, but it's also Takasha or Huli or Christy or Daniel or Jesse in the children's ministry. Like all of us collectively are building up my daughter in hopes that she might see Jesus and fall desperately in love with that man. It's not just up to us, but it's all of us together. This is done best in the context of community. One generation shall commend your works to another. You see, David, I, they, I, they, we're all in this together. I need you. You need me. We need each other to raise up the next generation. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes the kingdom of God to raise up kingdom advocates. And so we need to be that kingdom to our children, to raise up future generations. We need each other within this. And so this is what it means to have the right goal in view. If we all are thinking the right way, then we're pushing our disciples into something that is far greater than themselves, and they'll feel the joy of the Lord as they step in that, friends. This is what will ignite them. This is the heart of discipleship, is reproduction. And when a parent does this, there can be immense joy because you're not basing your joy off of whether or not they become good people. Who cares about that? You're basing their joy off of whether or not they turn from your daughters to your sisters in Christ. And listen, this, y'all, is eternal. No wonder why there's eternal reward, and we can feel the weight of it when we realize this. When they go from uh, your sons to your brothers, I mean, that will last for eternity. And this is what we should be longing for. That will create true joy that your heart actually craves and desires. Listen, are you thinking about just the next two months with your disciple, or are you thinking about the next trillion years? Think about the next trillion years. And do you have the wisdom to see how the next two months can actually impact the next trillion years? And as we do that, as we have the end in view, man, then this becomes beautiful. And this becomes what our hearts are craving. We see God. We are encouraged. And then we make disciples. We're a church that's transformed, y'all. We look totally different if we're operating like this. Now, real talk before I close. Like, who in here is like, man, I'm just ready. I'm just, I'm killing it at this whole parenting thing, right? I'm just making disciples. Now I'm just raising up my kids. Like, I'm telling you, tonight when my daughter comes out of her room for the 13th time, I'm not going to be like, thank you, gracious Heavenly Father, for giving me this opportunity to exercise your grace and discipline with her, right? I'm going to be like, yo, my sabbatical's starting. You're going you to wish it wasn't starting if you keep getting out of bed, Right? I'm not going to respond, right? I'm not going to always showcase the grace of God, and neither are you. And listen, that's okay, friends. That's okay, because there was somebody who did this to perfection. You see, Jesus Christ came down, and he was actually the perfect son. In fact, in verse 25, how this ends, in fact, let's read this, the Deuteronomy 6.25. I love this. It says this. It says, and... It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. It will be righteousness for us if we do all of this. Well, who in here has kept the law to perfection? Nobody. But notice it didn't say you'll be righteous if you keep the law, but rather it will be righteousness for you if it's kept. Well, who comes down and keeps it to perfection? It's our King Jesus. He comes down and he is a perfect son who obeys his father to perfection, who listens to all the commandments of God, who follows the law perfectly, and yet he gets crucified as if he was a prodigal. 
And the Father himself, the perfect heavenly Father, sends down his Son, knowing the plan of God from eternity past, and he offers up his Son, and the Son gets crucified, and the wrath of God comes upon his Son as if he were a prodigal. Why? So that you and I who are prodigals that are raising up other prodigals may now find our perfection in Christ's perfection. He kept the law to perfection. That becomes our righteousness. And then as we believe that, man, it transforms our life, and then we want everybody to taste and to see that, y'all. We want everybody to recognize, to walk in that. We are consistently advocates of God's glorious grace, freedom, and redemption, just as the nation of Israel was continually pointing back to Egypt and saying, we were slaves, but God freed us. So now we are a people who continually point back to our past and says, man, I was a slave to sin, but God freed me. He has made me a son or a daughter of the most high God. And as I see that more, as I believe that more, as I fall more and more desperately in love with Jesus, then I press that desperation onto everybody else that they may know him too. My daughters, my sons, my spiritual church family, my community group, the team that I serve, I want all to know God in this way. The redemption, the grace of our God. And we see it in Jesus. You have been welcomed into the family, y'all. I mean, you were once a slave to sin. You were once going to suffer death, and now you have been brought alive in Christ because of the son's sacrifice for you. The father willingly gave him up. Do you believe this? And if you believe it, are you consistently pointing at that? Let everything in your household, everything in this church, be continually pointing to the person and work of Jesus that we would love the Lord our God with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our strength. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys so much. I'm going to miss y'all. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for being the perfect father. Jesus, for being the perfect son, modeling this to utter perfection. God, you are good. We do not deserve to know you in this way. God, I pray that we would be a church that sees the generations discipled up under us. We would serve in children's ministry and not just serve as a volunteer, but serve as a disciple maker. That we would see our children as disciples, try to point them to you, that they would love you. That we would have true parenting to step out of the way and to point to the true parent, you. That we would be desperately uh, longing that others would know you, God. That we would see parenting as discipleship. Let us be a part of this. God, I thank you for calling us in as sons and daughters. God, I pray for those who do not know you as their father. Maybe they walked in, they're, they're unsure about this relationship with you. God, I thank you that even right now you invite them into family. You say, I will be your father. You can be a son. You can be a daughter, an eternal son, an eternal daughter, a bond that will never be broken. God, I pray that those who may have walked in feeling like spiritual orphans would walk out feeling like sons and daughters of you because of what you have done for us, Jesus, in giving up your sonship that we might be called sons. God, I pray that we would love you for this and walk in you all the days of our life. I pray this in your precious, your beautiful name. Amen.